You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Carlisle. In this series, we are following Jesus and learning what it means to take on His yoke. We are pressing into His promise of true life. Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. My name is James Fields, serve here as the lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Indeed, a pleasure and honor to be with you this morning as we continue in our series through the Gospel of Matthew. This morning, as you had just read, we will be looking at um, the denial of Peter as well as Judas' um, destruction. Have you ever been wrong? <laughs> I mean, not just wrong, but really wrong, like, absolutely wrong. Before you thought it, before you said it, before you did it, before anyone could convict, convict you or find fault with you, before someone found out your mishap or anyone knew about your misfortune, you knew that you were absolutely 100% wrong. In other words, you blew it. <laughs> I've been there many times in my life, more times than I like to admit. And today we'll discover that God's sovereign control extends behind, beyond our mistakes, our mishaps, and even our misfortunes. If you remember us from last week, we were talking and discussing about God's sovereignty, and we talked about how God is sovereign even when we think that we're in control. We saw that through the person of Judas who went to the Garden of Gethsemane um, at an opportune time to betray Jesus with a kiss. We also saw last week how um, that God's sovereignty reigns even when your life is out of control. We saw this with uh, the disciples and specifically Peter who arose from his slumber to see a mob of people with pitchforks and torches, if you will, wanting to seize Jesus and successfully doing so. Lastly, we also saw that God's sovereignty extends even when we are trying to maintain control. We saw that with Caiaphas and the high priest and the interactions that we saw last week in that nature. Today, we'll be able to see something a little different. Today, we'll be able to witness the beauty of human weakness alongside the beauty a benevolence of divine grace. And church, this is a message that we are that is much needed within our world today. And the, this message is quite simple. The message is this: is that because of the redemptive blood of the Lamb, because of the redemptive blood of the Lamb, your failures don't have to define you, and your failures don't have to destroy you. See, the main point that I want you to get out of the text today is this. While following after God won't prevent you from failure, following after God will prevent you from allowing your failures to define you. Let me say that again. While following after God won't prevent you from failure, Following after God will prevent you from allowing your failures to define you. 
Will you pray with me? Father, we do ask right now that you would hide me behind your cross. Take my little, make much of it as, all, as you often do. We pray this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. May his name be glorified in all we do say and think. May your word go forth and not come back void. May some heart be changed. May, may some soul be uh, saved and some mind be transformed more into the image of Christ as a result of today's message. We do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, we want to analyze two important questions. The first question is this, where do you go when you fail? Where do you go? We all go somewhere. (laughs) We all have experienced failure. We all have experienced the hardship of failing. But here's, I'm not asking you if you fail. What I'm asking you is this, where do you go when you fail? Do you go into despair? Do you go into denial? You maybe even for some of us, which is a real thing, maybe some of us go into depression. Where do you go when you fail? In other words, where do you go when you're experiencing overwhelming, debilitating guilt? Today, we'll witness what it means to follow Jesus despite our sins and failures, and we'll see the juxtaposition between Peter and Judas. And Peter will find the hope of redemption, and in Judas, we will see the despair of remorse. And not only will we see the juxtaposition between these two characters, we'll also be able to identify what's the difference. First, let's look at our brother Peter. Look with me in verse 69. It starts off quite simply. It says this, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. There's two things that I want you to realize and understand about the text that we're talking about today. Where P- notice where Peter is located. Also notice how Peter ends up denying Jesus. Peter is no- located in a very particular place. It says that he is sitting outside in the courtyard. As you know, Peter had just woken up from his sleep and he saw the mob and he decided because his life was outside of control that he could take things into his own hands. And he took a knife and he took a swung at the soldier's head and he missed it, and he, but he caught his ear. And you remember what Jesus did? Jesus said, hey, put away your sword. Listen, those who live by that thing will die by that thing. this, This is not a part of my kingdom. Do you not know that I can call 12 legions of angels? We talked about that last week, that 12 legions of angels was 72,000 angels. One legion is 6,000 of angels. So 12 times 6 is 72. So 72,000 angels. Jesus reminded Peter that I can call down. I don't need your sword, Peter. (laughs) If I was a victim in this situation, if I was being treated unjustly, or if I was being victimized, I know how to defend myself. And better yet, my Father in heaven knows how to defend me. And if I call to him, he will respond with an array of angels that you've never seen before. In our times of misfortune, in our times when our, when our lives are outside, out, out of our control, 
It's always good to be reminded that God is never out of control. And in Jesus saying that to Peter, he wasn't just talking about how he could defend himself. He was reminding Peter that God is in control. No matter what the situation looks like, no matter what you feel like, no matter what your kids are doing or not doing, your husband's doing or not doing, if your parents are saved or if they're not saved, if your bank account is full or if it's overdrawn, Jesus is kindly reminding Peter of the fact that God is sovereign even when your life and even when your circumstance says different. So he looks at Peter and he says, put that thing away. Now you have to remember about Peter. Peter was the the leader of the disciples. He was the main man in charge. If someone had something to say, it would be Peter. Peter was always a leader. It was very hard for him to really know what it means to be a follower. He's always been in charge. He's always been up front. He's always been the man among men. Peter also was a close companion of Jesus. He was one of his inner circle. It was Peter, James, and John who often were able to see things in the scriptures that if they would not have seen it, honestly, it wouldn't have been recorded in the scriptures because they had such a close, intimate relationship with him that Jesus literally invited Peter into situations where only him and four other eyes, human eyes besides Jesus' eyes, could see and witness Remember the transfiguration where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and he shows them the display of his glory in a way that has never been seen before? Remember what the, the scene that we just came out of? Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, he left the other disciples behind, but he took Peter, James, and John to him to pray with him and lament with him. And you remember the words that Jesus told Peter? The prophetic words that he told Peter? He said, Peter, Pray so that you may not what? Fall into temptation. See, Jesus is sovereign and he's sovereignly in control. And sometimes Jesus calls you to do things that you may not want to do (laughs) at a time that you may not want to do it. And maybe at a point where you don't see that why you're doing it, but God knows. And in Jesus inviting Peter into that inner circle, he wasn't just giving him a private display of prayer. He was trying to give him an opportunity to pray himself out of temptation. Take advantage of the opportunities that God gives us. You know, this is one year into COVID-19. Over 500,000 lives have been lost to this disease. And listen, I don't know why God has caused this. And honestly, I don't know what the next year is going to look like. But one thing I do know and one thing I do appreciate is that this pandemic has caused us to prioritize the things that matter most. It's caused us to slow down. It's caused us to take a view uh, and take account of how we're stewarding not just our money, not just our time, but how we're stewarding our lives. Are we investing in the things that matter most 
in, the, in light of the kingdom. Not in light of my 401k, not in light of my 403b, not in light of my salary or the next career position that I'm shooting for. Am I stewarding my life before God well? And at that time when Peter was invited into that close, intimate time with Jesus to pray, Jesus was hopeful. <laughs> and Jesus was inviting Peter into a time to pray himself out of temptation. More than that, you know what I think? It's not in the scriptures, but I can, I, I can bet on this because I know God's character. I know that even when Jesus was praying for himself, you know who Jesus was also praying for? Our boy Peter. <laughs> That even when we miss opportunities that we feel like God has given us, we feel like we blew it, God steps in and he intercedes for us and he prays for us and he petitions to God on our behalf. Even when we don't think we need him to pray for us, God is always praying for us. (laughs) He loves us. He cares for us deeply than we ever know. And prayer is not simply you Getting God to get on your agenda is more about you getting on God's agenda. Beautiful thing about prayer is that not that you twist and you make God do what he, you, that you think he should be doing in your life. The beauty of prayer is that you draw near to God to hear from your heavenly father to know his desires for you as his child. There are prayers that I've prayed in my life that honestly... I shouldn't have been praying. There are dreams and aspirations that I had in my life that I thought were good. But when I started to get on my knees before Jesus, and when I started to pray to him, Jesus started to show me what truly mattered. He reminded me about the fruits of the Spirit. He reminded me about loving my wife as he loves his church. He reminded me that he's always in control and always sovereign. You see, the beauty of prayer is not just that we get to pray to God. The beauty of prayer is that prayer changes us. It changes us. It grows us. So verse 69, Peter is in the courtyard, y'all, and Peter is in despair Peter is discouraged. Peter is disappointed. He is lamenting over the fact of his great disappointment. Jesus, there is up to this point in his life, there's never been a place, there's never been a moment where Jesus had not succeeded. He's always been victorious. He's always made a way. He's always made, made, made took a little and made more, more out of it. He's always done it. So Jesus... Why won't you do that now? Some of you right now are asking God that same question. You're wondering why God won't act the way that you want him to act. And you're mad at God. You're upset with him. Because he won't do what you think is best in this moment. Well, I got a word for you. (laughs) That God is always sovereignly in control. And if God isn't blessing you in a way that you think you should be blessed, maybe the problem is not with God. Maybe the problem is with your prayer. Maybe it's not that God is saying no. Maybe God is saying not yet. 
hold still. I'm still doing some work in you. I'm still conforming your heart. I'm still preparing you. You're not ready for that blessing yet. Slow down. If God is sovereignly in control, then he's sovereignly not only of our successes, but also our failures, not just over our joys and our triumphs, but also of our shortcomings and our disappointments. God is big enough to deal with your disappointment, church. He's big enough. So get the picture. Peter's outside, defeated, worn down, busted and disgusted, lamenting, licking his wounds, if you will. And all of a sudden, verse 69, a slave girl approached him and said, you were with Jesus a Galilean too. (laughs) But he denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about. Verse 71, when he had gone out to the gateway, another woman saw him and told those who were with him, this man was with Jesus the Nazarene. And again, he denied it with an oath. I don't know the man. Verse 73, after a little while, those standing there approached and said to Peter, you really are one of them, since even your accent gives you away. Verse 74, then he started to curse and swear an oath. I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed and Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Do you see the picture? Did you see the picture? You see, I had a hard time under trying to understand how I was going to teach this because a lot of times the way that I've been taught this is we, we beat down Peter. We beat down Peter. And, and we make him into this... <sighs> we make him into a, 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 a person who should not be human in this moment. And should not have emotion. It should not have failure or not. But, but listen, if we make Peter into such a person, that means we also make ourselves into such a person. <laughs> Peter's at a point, the lowest point of his life. He's disappointed, the only man that's brought significance into his life. And a moment of despair, at a moment of discouragement, and at a moment of disappointment, temptation enters in. Isn't that just like temptation? Temptation doesn't wait till you got it all together. It doesn't wait to when you have been reading your word and you've been praying and fasting and you're filled with the spirit, right? Temptation doesn't come like that. Temptation comes when? When we are at our lowest point, when we're, not the, when we're at the end of our rope, right? When we're denying the goodness of God or the sovereignty of God or the very presence of God. Temptation has a way of looking like a lion looks at its prey. And a lion, when it looks at its prey, it waits to see the weakest prey, and it waits in ambush. And when it sees the weakest prey, it it then pursues it because he knows that his strength is greater than that prey's strength in that moment. Beloved, listen, I'm not telling you not to be discouraged. I'm not telling you not to be disappointed. I'm not telling you not to be despair. To do all those three things is to be human. If you are not, and even Jesus himself felt despair and disappointment in his own life. So listen, I'm not telling you not to experience those things. What I'm telling you, though, is that as you experience those things, expect temptation to pay you a visit. 
see that with our brother Peter. As he's waiting and he's lamenting, he's tempted. Notice who tempts him. This is what I love about Peter. Peter is so big and brass and brave, especially when the lights come on. (laughs) When when the lights come on, Peter's ready to go, y'all. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when the mob came to get Jesus, he woke up and he knew exactly what to do. I'm going to take this sword and I'm going to defend my Savior. I love him too much to see you come and get him. When the lights are on, when, 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 when people are watching, Peter knows what to do. He, he knows how, how to be strong and to be courageous and to be brave and to say the right thing at the right moment. But in the moment, again, verse 69, him sitting in the courtyard by himself. The lights aren't on. It's not in the front of the church. It's not in front of the synagogue. It's not in front of disciples. By himself, he experiences temptation from a slave girl. Peter, what's wrong with this picture? <laughs> you're brave enough to stand up to mobs of people. You're big and brave to stand in front of all these men who are coming with Jesus with pitchforks and knives and torches. But a slave girl? Slave girl? Someone who's owned by someone else who doesn't even accuse you of nothing except for having some type of association with Jesus? Slave girl? Yeah, it's a slave girl. You see, in our moments of temptation, it's not always the things that we think normally would take us down that takes us down. It's those unseen things, right? Those unexpected things, those things that we don't expect to come up to to tempt us or to cause us to fall. Those are the things that we need to be worried about. Not just when we're in front of people, not just when we are on the stage. You measure my life as your pastor, not by the sermons I preach, but how I treat my wife, how I love my kids, how I treat you. If I'm preaching the truth of God's word and not just, excuse me, not just preaching God's word, but am I living it? That's how you judge me as your pastor. It's a good reminder for us and even a good encouragement for us to be aware of temptations that come at unexpected times, especially in our times of weakness, in our times of despair and disappointment. Notice the slow progression of Peter. You see, Peter doesn't just outright deny Jesus. He slowly kind of walks into it. First, the slave girl comes to him and says, you were with Jesus, the Galilean too. Verse 70, he denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about. And in other words, he's saying, you got the wrong person. Don't talk to me. Stop talking to me. You, know, you got the wrong person. Verse 71, when he had gone out to the, the, gate, the gateway, another woman saw him and told those who were with him, this man was with Jesus, the Nazarene. This time, he not only denies it, he then puts an oath with it. Verse 72, he denied it with an oath, I don't know the man. In other words, an oath is saying, like, I swear, right? Uh, I swear whatever. I'm not going to even swear in church because that's not a good thing. But I swear whatever 
right? That I don't know the man, right? When we were little, this is not good. I, well, maybe I should say. We used to swear on like, I swear on my mama's grave or something like that. You know, like, like, like you know, I swear on whatever. You know, that's what we used to do when we were little. Don't do that now, kids. Y'all don't, y'all don't, have, don't do that. I forgot we have kids in the auditorium. I, I do apologize. Parents, I apologize, parents. I'm sorry. Okay, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. But we would swear on certain things in order to let you know that our, what we're saying is legit. This is what Peter's doing here. He says, I swear on whatever. I don't know this man. Verse 17, after a little while, those standing there approached and said to Peter, you really are one of those since even your accent gives you away. Verse 74, he then started to curse and to swear with an oath. I don't know the man. This word cursing is not what we think of using bad language. It's more like him, him swearing an oath, not just saying, I swear on, you know, whatever, my mama's grave. He's saying, I swear before the throne room of, of heaven. In other words, what he's saying is, if I'm lying, he used to say this back in like, oh, I'm dying, what, huh? Yeah, I'm dying. Like, if I'm lying, I'm dying, that type of thing. That's what he's saying. He's saying, if I'm lying, may God strike me dead. That's what he's saying. This is, this is what it's talking about when he says a curse and swearing. I don't know this man. Notice the gradualness of this. It, 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 it goes from Peter being into a time of despair and disappointment to going to a place of denial. But that didn't just happen on its own. Happened without, with Peter trying to fix things on his own apart from remembering the sovereignty of God in that moment. Beloved, if you are here today and you're under the sound of my voice and you're suffering, listen, all of us, we're a year into this pandemic and all of our suffering looks different. All of it looks different. If you are suffering and you are under the sound of my voice, I need you to hear me this morning. I need you to know that one, that God loves you, (laughs) that he loves you enough that he sent his son to die on the cross for the forgiveness and the redemption of your sins. Number two, I need you to know that as a believer in Jesus, your failures and your shortcomings, they do not define you. We say it in our church a different way. Identity precedes function. That who you are is more important than just what you do. In this season, During COVID, if anything that God has shown us is that who we are is so much more important than what we do. Because a lot of us, the things that we do and the things that we love to do, we can't do. God still loves you. He still sees you. And he still pursues you. The last thing I would encourage you to do is to find a place of community to be honest with yourself and honest with others during your disappointment, during your despair, and during your frustrations. This is the beauty of what God has created. God has created a church, an ecclesia. He has gathered a people for his own. And because he's gathered a people and not just a person, we have community with one another. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Be in community. Make it a priority. Every week, every day, 
God has not caused you or created you to live on your own. And a lot of the things that we're suffering, even people that I'm looking at right now, a lot of the things that we're suffering is because we refuse to live in community. God has, God, if God is sovereign, and if God knows what's best, and if God has called a people unto himself, and he's given us a word to stand on and has infused us with his spirit, then we need to submit to that. We need to submit to the church. We need to submit to living in community, not just being a part of community, not just talking about community, living in community. Your success, your failures, your joys, your disappointments. Maybe that's the remedy that God has caused and given you today is a body. A body of believers who understand and can empathize what human weakness is, who have failed and who have succeeded. And the beautiful thing that I love about this particular body here at Sojourn Church Carlisle is that it's a body that is multi ethnic, so there's different views, different understandings, different languages spoken among us, but there's also age disparity. To my jolly elders, I say to you, we need you. We need you to be a part of this community. We need you to be your voice. We need your wisdom. We need you to remind us of how God brought you out of hard and difficult situations dealing with parenting or dealing with finances or careers. We need to be reminded, and we are reminded by your presence even here today, that God is a good God. And it helps us as young people to prioritize our lives now and according to the word of God and not just the wisdom of this world. We need you. Young people, young families, children, I, I hear them. That's okay. Listen, if, if there's no noise in the church, our church, church isn't growing. We praise God for the noises. We praise God for the babies. But listen, you need community just like anyone else. You need help. You need guidance. You need encouragement. Because all of us, we don't see things clearly from our perspective. Sometimes we need someone to come in from a different perspective to speak wisdom into our lives and, and, and provide encouragement in our hearts. So we see Brother Peter as one character. The second character we see here is Judas. Look, look with me in verse chapter 27, verse 3, starting at verse C. It says, In Judas, his betrayer, seeing that Jesus had been condemned, was full of remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the scribes. I have sinned by betraying innocent blood, he said. What's that to us, they said. See to it yourself. So he threw the silver into the temple and departed. Then he went and destroyed himself. The chief priest took the silver and said, it's not permitted to put into the treasury since it's blood money. Now, if we're honest with ourselves... At this point in the story, it's easy for us to have a callous heart towards our brother Judas. But let's remember who Judas is. Judas was one of the 12 disciples. 
He he was given specific privilege. He was chosen by Jesus himself. Isn't it amazing that out of the 12 men that Jesus chose almost 10 chapters ago, one was going to betray him and one was going to deny him, and he knew that, yet he still chose them. Again, it reminds us that our identity precedes our function with Christ. (laughs) He was also in charge of the money bag. He was given a specific position. John 12, 6 tells us that Judas was in charge of the money bag with the disciples, and he often would take money from that bag for his own gain. Lastly, we know that he was the one to betray Jesus. He was he played a specific part. He was a liar. Remember what Jesus said in verse Matthew 27, 3 and 5? Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that Jesus had condemned, was being condemned, was full of remorse. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver and said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Notice with me in verse 3. Notice this word, full of remorse. Now, there are different ways that we can understand this. One one commentator says that, man, maybe Judas felt bad, right? Maybe Judas felt bad about what was going on because he saw, I love what it says here in verse 3, then Judas' betrayer, seeing that Jesus had been condemned. It's very important language. Because there is a thought that maybe Judas betrayed Jesus, hoping that he, Jesus, would then be He would have to lead a revolt against Rome because now he's under their care. But that's not what happened. What happened was that Jesus was betrayed by Judas and he was beaten and he was flogged and he was spat on and he was humiliated. And Judas saw that Jesus didn't fight back and now he's concerned. Another thought Well, that's the second thought, that Jesus, now that he has been condemned and now that he's been caught and he didn't fight back, now there's a problem. Notice this word with me, full of remorse. He said that he was full of remorse. This word remorse literally means a change of mind. It means a change of mind. So Judas at this time had a change of mind and he saw that what was happening And not only did he have a change of mind, he even went as far as to do and to bring back restitution. He not only had a change of mind and said, man, what I did was wrong, but now I'm going to go and I'm going to take the money that I used to betray Jesus and I'm going to give it to the men. Who were plotting his killing and his demise. So he brought it back. Notice what these men do with it. Notice their response. They say, what is it that to us? See to it yourself. See, I believe at this moment that Judas, yeah, he he really was at a point of feeling remorse. He even says in verse 4, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But listen, there is a difference between saying, I'm sorry that I got caught There's a difference between saying, I'm sorry that I got caught, 
and saying, I'm sorry that I caused God's heart to break and to experience unnecessary pain. What's the difference, you might ask? It's, it's the difference between remorse and repentance. Remorse always focuses on the action that was done. It focuses on, man, I, I, I wish, I wish that I didn't get caught <laughs> in that situation. I wish I could turn back the hand of time. It's not that I would do it differently. It's just that if I was given another chance, if, if I was, could go back in time, I would do, do it differently knowing what I know right now. Repentance is not just a change of mind, beloved. Repentance is a change of heart. It's the difference between saying, mommy or daddy, I'm sorry I got caught stealing, than saying, mommy and daddy, I'm sorry that... I broke your heart as your child and I misplaced your trust. (laughs) I'm sorry that I didn't act like a Fields or a Bolden or a Wyrens during that situation. I'm I'm sorry, mom and dad, that I didn't live up to the standard that you've placed before me as being a part of your family, the values that you've placed before me. You see, at this point, Judas has remorse, but he doesn't have repentance. And he does all the right things. Don't get me wrong. Judas does all the right things. He, he feels the remorse. He responds to the remorse. But the problem is that he responds to the wrong person. He responds to the priest who betrayed Jesus, but not to the sacrifice that was given by God for the forgiveness of sins. You know, a lot of times, even this year, as we talk about justice and obtaining justice and and wanting to have justice, church family, we desire justice because God is a God of justice. (laughs) He is a God who insinuates and has the character of justice. Justice isn't something that just comes within us. Justice is in response to the God who is just and right and holy. We would have no understanding of what justice is if we did not have a just God. And in this moment, Judas is trying to find justice apart from sacrifice. See, justice always takes sacrifice. There's no way in which you can have full justice without having sacrifice. And Judas thought, and he wanted that sacrifice to be the 30 pieces of silver that he took. He looked and he said, you know what? I know what the problem is. The problem is these hands have stolen money and these these lips have kissed the the son of God to betray him. So if I go and take this money and give it back to those who wanted to destroy him, and if I use these lips to confess my sin that, that I have betrayed innocent blood, then everything will be okay. Everything will be fine. That's not justice. That's confession. That's remorse. That's even restitution. But that's not justice. Justice is making what's wrong right. 
And the only one who can make what's wrong right is God. Not you, not me, not politicians, not the president, not policies. The only one who can make things right is God. And how does God make things right? He puts his son on a tree for everyone to see. He allows him to die in our place. He puts him in a borrowed tomb and he raises him up on the third day for the eternal forgiveness of everyone's sin who would bow to the knee of Jesus. That's how he makes things right. Church family, let's not, as we seek justice and as we seek healing and as we seek redemption, Let's not forget how God has made things right. Let's not forget about the hope that we have of our sovereign king providing his son as a perfect sacrifice for sin. You see, the beauty of the gospel is that every sin is forgiven. Every sin that you have yet to commit, it has been forgiven by the blood of Christ. But you know what the hardship of it is? Is that although it's forgiven, we still have to suffer the consequences in this world. We still have to suffer the ramifications. We don't suffer the penalty of eternal separation from God, but we still suffer the consequences of sin that even we, have, we don't even know that we have yet to commit even in the future. Beloved, as I close, I have a question for us to consider. And the question is this. If Judas was here today, what would you say to him? If he was here today, I would tell Judas, Judas, it's not over. (laughs) You don't have to harm yourself. You don't have to destroy yourself. Forgiveness is available. Jesus endured the spitting, the slander, and the slapping for you, Judas. Jesus came to redeem ruined sinners like you and myself that you can be forgiven. And some of us, even in the underside of my voice right now, I believe are maybe in the same place as Judas. You think you've done so much damage and you've made so many mistakes that your life It's really over for you. You say God can never forgive you or invite you into his kingdom, let alone into his family. And if you're here this morning with a sense of despair, like there's nowhere to go, nowhere to turn, perhaps like Judas, you are literally on the cusp of destroying your life. Hear me. Jesus never gives up on you. As the songwriter says, his Blood flows to the highest mountain, and it reaches to the deepest valley. This story is a reminder that either we choose Jesus, who offers life through forgiveness, or we choose death by believing that we can make things right by ourselves. Judah's tragic death was so unnecessary and so tragic. So here today that there is hope. There's a person we can go to with our guilt and our shame, our frustrations, our disappointments. 
There's a person that we can go to to receive his visitation, invitation this morning. No, that no matter what you've done, he wants to forgive you and be re- in relationship with you. Church, <laughs> oh church, if Judas just would have waited two more days. If Judas could have just waited two more days, he would have fully understood why Jesus didn't fight back. The reason why Jesus didn't fight back was not that he didn't have the power. The reason that he fought back was because he believed that God would vindicate him by rising him from the dead for the forgiveness of sin. Will you pray with me? Father, we do love you and thank you. We ask that you be with us and grow us in the grace and knowledge of your son. Thank you, God, that you have given us a perfect sacrifice. There's no sacrifice that we need to give because of the full and eternal sacrifice that has been given to us in Jesus Christ, our King. We look to him and we thank you for him. Father, I do pray for those who are under temptation even now to maybe destroy themselves or destroy their lives. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would stop the hand of the enemy and the whispering of lives that tell them that through their destruction, they can make things right. There is only one who has been destroyed, who can make things right, and his name is Jesus. And we thank you that that destruction was only temporary, because on the third day, he rose with all power in his hands. So it's to him that we look with admiration and much hope. King Jesus, we praise you that you are the sufficient king of our lives. You are the sovereign one in every aspect. When we think we're in control, when our lives are out of control, or even when we're trying to maintain control, Jesus, you are still in control. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville. And we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.